0: In today's Garnet Zoom chat, I'm joined by Harley Schwastick, who is set to begin her 19th season as the head coach for Swarthmore. Harley, you are five wins away from 300 in in your career. Do you remember that very first win?
1: Uh, Well, I do remember it was a win. (laughs) Uh, You know, and thinking back on that, what I remember is, like I said, it's a win. There weren't many that year. Um, I remember being excited because, you know, I've had assistants go on to be head coaches, and that first win is pretty, a pretty big deal. And I remember, I think, Marion and Sharon, our administrative assistants, put signs on my door, you know, the first win. And then I also remember feeling relieved because it's like, okay, I think I can do this, you know. Um, so, but that was eons ago. Our program has come leaps and bounds. Our team, my alums will say, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that the talent. Um, that we have now. So it was a whole nother day and age when I look back that 19 years ago.
0: There's been, you know, so many wins in between then. Are, are there any other ones that like in particular really stand out to you?
1: Well, I would have to definitely say when we, in 2017, when we beat Johns Hopkins um, for, to win the Mid-Atlantic Regional Championship, Um, that was pretty spectacular. It was a point for point value uh, battle. And it was awesome for our program to get that far and being the first centennial team to ever do that. But I actually go back to, I'm probably going to get the year wrong, but it was our first time in playoffs. I think it was 2009 or 2010. Um, We were the fourth seed. We ended up playing, Haverford was hosting that year. And we played there and we upset the one seed. And that catapulted the conference. Um, there, there's been a stretch of time where a lower seed has won the championship. So it's really a toss up. But one of my alums, Sarah Lambert, class of um, 2011, uh, went back and served at the end of the fourth set and really served us into that fifth set. And our team was like, it was so awesome. I can look back on that and that's a turning point for me in our program um, because of the, the players that we had on that team and, we were. We have made playoffs every year except for one in that almost 10 years. So um, that was an upsetting, and I hate to say it, but upsetting Havenford on their home court in conference championships is a pretty sweet um, victory.
0: In your time as head coach, have you noticed, you know, a change, an evolution in the way you've coached, um, you know, a shift in your philosophy and your methods, anything like that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I would be totally in denial if I didn't say otherwise you know when I started at Swarthmore I was 24 I was two years older than my oldest players I'm now in my mid-40s I've gone from being a single person completely working 24-7 to now being a wife and a mother and um, there's a lot more on my plate now I would say there are some things that have stayed the same you know, family is a core value of our program. And I still remember that very first team meeting I had talking with our players about that our program was going to be a family. And I still talk to some of those alums who now have children of their own. And we reminisce. I have one in particular who has said, I I didn't believe you in that moment. But by the time I graduated, I knew that this was going to be a family I was going to be part of forever. Um, But I will say my alums, I always rely on them. They're like, you definitely have gotten softer. You know, a lot of Mentors or other coaching um, colleagues of mine that are women, and they, you know, as we have children, maybe we get softer, we get, you know, a little more lenient. Um, I think I'm still fiercely competitive and intense. Um, I know for as tall as I am and the demeanor I carry sometimes, I've been told I'm intimidating, which I laugh at. Uh, But I will say I definitely um, value communication more than ever. You know, I think our players nowadays, have a need for more regular communication. Um, it's very self, um, self-driven, self and we have a, a servant leadership model so that everyone's invested in our leadership. It's not just decisions that I make or the staff makes. Um, but I think that the biggest thing I take away is, you know, being an educator, I value being the learner, and I love to learn, I always have. And if I haven't evolved in what we do, what we do, there's always change. I mean, right now we're in the midst of a big change. Um, I need to evolve with that. So my goal is to always take away something from each one of the student-athletes I've coached. Um, Some of those things I remember big and bold and get carried through with my program and talking to our current team. But I I could, if I sat down and made a list, I could think of something I've taken away from every woman that I've had the opportunity to coach and work with in my time that's worth more.
0: That's great. And one thing that hasn't changed over the years for you is your, I think your emphasis on academic success for your team. And, you know, that's, that's been evidenced. I think the last four years, every person that's been eligible to receive the award has gotten on the Centennial Honor Roll. Um, And, you know, just numerous year after year, ABCA academic awards and um, just other awards touting your team's academic achievements. How important is that to you? And how do you, um, encourage your team to succeed academically and athletically.
1: Well, as you mentioned, it is actually one of our our core values. Of being a student athlete, um, and I talk about it through the recruiting in our program, is that we are going to be a competitively successful program without compromising our academic success. So, you know, my college experience, I went to school. I went to a high academic school like Swarthmore, um, and I had played for coaches. That didn't necessarily understand that level of high academic and making that work and struggled with my teammates when they had conflict. And I remember one time a coach asking me, you know, how do, how come I don't hear about this with you? And I said, well, I just get it done. Like, it's my job. And so I know the experience of not having a coach that might not understand the rigors. So you know, I take a serious interest and um, passion in what my students do, even though if it may be something way over my head. And then there's some stuff I totally relate on. But we talk about, you know, I think the one key thing we do is we try to take an extra day off of practice during the season. um, And that's extra time for them to study and get sleep, mostly sleep, because they don't, they give up sleep first. Um, And we emphasize the awards and we show a lot of appreciation for that level of, commitment so yeah when the conference started acknowledging um not just uh not just um all conference winners but anyone that's on a roster that maintained a gpa or higher every year we've done that what it's three or four now every single one of our returners has been able to elevate themselves and not everyone understands how hard swarthmore is so there's a lot of pride with our current student athletes because there's a lot of pride from our our alumni and, um, and also encouraging them to know that they can study everything. I think the first time I had someone express an interest in studying engineering, I was a little apprehensive. I knew the programs definitely can be a little more intensive. Um, but I'd say every three or four year cycle, I have one or two engineers. So anything really is possible. Um, honors is possible. And it's just, there's a lot of communication and a lot of, um, I'm not gonna say it is there aren't hard days. There aren't days where I've had women come in crying because of a meeting with a professor or something went wrong with a lab or mispractice because of a lab, I think I have a, a very great understanding of what it is to have those days where you're failing and succeeding. And I also share my own experiences. You know, I, I one time like failed a midterm and almost failed a class because I was too focused on basketball in college. And they don't, they're like, You really did? I said, Yeah, but I then worked my butt off and it was a lesson in prioritizing. So, Yeah, I'm very, I'm absolutely probably one, that's probably one thing that I'm most proud of is that we show that we can do both very well. That's
0: great. And in all of that, you know, the team always still maintains, you know, a good fun environment too. You guys find, you know, great ways to have fun and just, you know, different activities you do. What are some of those unique traditions that the team has?
1: Well, gosh, and you, you were so nice to, to share some of this. So I had a chance to, to think through some of the ideas. Um, I think I thought first one more recent ones is, um, this last fall with our field hockey team, you know, we've always tried the women's fall teams, try to do something together. Sometimes it works. It doesn't. So we did like a learn to play clinic. So we taught the field hockey team and they taught us how to play hockey. That was super fun. Um, We are always on campus for fall break where we still have a week off from classes. So we try to do things. The team loves to go to Lynn Villa and Apple Pick. um, And then the last couple years, they've come back with little baby pumpkins and they paint them for, we have a list of different members in our department to show our appreciation. Um, And I think most people really appreciate those. And there's some fun designs that come up whether they're artistic or not. Um, Other ones, In practice, we have what's called Fun Spandex Friday. So volleyball, if you've played a long time through high school and club, they have these big tournaments. They sell all kinds of fun ones. It started with, uh, Breland who was a middle. She came to recruiting camp. She had spandex with tomatoes on them. And my team referred to her as the tomato spandex girl. So in her time, it kind of evolved. Coaches are one day where we could wear not just regular, like, practice spandex, but can we wear fun ones? and so that's where fun spanish friday came from so they're always kind of a little strange and different um another one that i think kind of covers a lot of team traditions is we have swat teams so we have small groups like three or four or five players assigned to a letter of swat s-w-a-t and then throughout the so if we go on a team trip we might have a bingo board that each team is trying to capture all the bingos and win gift cards or t-shirts or things like that so they kind of bond in their team um, we went to Boston one year and they had to find pictures with their letters. And so Boston, the T tea team lucked out because, you know, the public transportation in Boston is the T. So they had a lot of great pictures. They felt that that was a little, a little disadvantage to that group. But so those are kind of some of the fun things that we do.
0: That's awesome. Um, and you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to experience your team's yeah. fun, <laughs> you know, uh, traveling to China with the team back in 2017. Yeah. was an incredible experience what were some of your favorite memories from that
1: trip um i think the biggest thing is i I got to um experience our sport in a culture that really has revolutionized and modern our sport so and another thing i thought too is like and i should like to say for everybody is brandon came on this trip it was 25 people and brandon was the only guy so (laughs) Uh, kudos to Brandon. It was so much fun. And one of my other favorite memories is that you tried all kinds of crazy foods, and you're the, like the guinea pig for that. I'm adventurous, but not that adventurous. I think what was it? The fish eye might have been the. Oh yeah. Uh, that was probably the craziest. Um, no, but a, a, a fun memory was um, our, so our our main tour guide there. His name is Chris Chen. Um, he played on the Chinese men's national team. He's helped a lot of Division One teams travel to and from China and things like that. We are the first division three team. So he got to experience a new realm of uh, American college volleyball. And the one site we walked into, I feel like it was in Nanjing. I remember we walked in this gym, a handful of them knew who the women were and they were members of the national team. It was a professional team training site. And like they had just won a gold medal like two years before and here they're training and doing a drill that we do all the time in our gym. And we just sat there as a team and watched them do this drill. Now, obviously, they're all, they're all well easily over six feet tall. It's just serve and pass. Um, and it was just so awesome. But there are so I many, I mean, climbing the Great Wall was unbelievable. Um, we learned getting on and off a bus. We still joke about it today. Like, you know, being a pedestrian in, in China is definitely an offensive skill. I mean, you know this. We were all about how fast can we get off a bus without getting hit by a bike or a motor scooter, or even a moving vehicle. Um, the food was amazing. And it was just so great to experience a different culture in that way. And I say like the the Chinese, actually Asia in general revolutionized volleyball, modernized the sport, it started with the Japanese in the 1960s and 70s. And to be playing sport with people, I mean, I don't speak Chinese. And to have a common language in what we were doing and learning from them and things that they do and bringing those things back into our gym, it was just awesome and then the challenges i mean i think that was a huge part that drove our success into the end of that postseason was we had been through challenging situations so now we try to recreate those kind of challenges in different ways so we can experience that as a team and be comfortable with the uncomfortable um and going forward so yeah i that was so much fun i would go back in a heartbeat and it was great we had two whole weeks um we really did planes trains automobiles I can't think of a mode of transportation we didn't experience, and um, yeah, it was just awesome. Yeah, whenever
0: we can travel again, where where would you like to take the team next?
1: Uh, so, um, you know, we, we've started to talk about this within my, my coaching staff. I have three assistants. Linda's been with me for three years and went with us to China. Both of us, we want to go back to Asia, um, but we've talked. There's a lot of opportunities what drives that decision-making is one, our team decision-making because they are fundraise trips. Two is how can we connect our team to that location? Are there competitive volleyball opportunities? And I like that connection. I think that's sustained me through all of sport is the, where I've gotten to travel and go places. It's really been through volleyball. I've seen our country and now I've seen some of the world. And so um, it's really open. We've talked about South Africa. We've talked about places in Europe um south america would be awesome um but we want to go somewhere and experience it like you know we got to go to everywhere in china i don't want to just go somewhere and be on a resort so we'll we'll see um i think spain and portugal were out there too there's a lot open i'm really open to any idea
0: yeah that's awesome um so in addition to coaching um you also help run the snell shillingford symposium Um, can you, can you describe the, the mission of that symposium and why that's so important?
1: Sure. So the Snell Schilling for Coaching Symposium um, is a program that's run and sponsored by the Centennial Conference. And it's really important that I say that because our conference is committed to funding this program every single year. It's an annual symposium. We offer over a three-day weekend, Friday to Sunday, hosted by one of the schools in the Centennial Conference. And we bring together a group of... Um, Current female athletes from each centennial school, two to three, a group of assistant and new head coaches. And then I say oldies but goodies, but, the, you know, the program directors, which are myself and Cecily Scaviccio from our college, our keynotes. Um, and just people that have been involved to help run the program. So it's a really conference led program. And it's an opportunity for um, networking and mentoring and education. To, for females to see the career paths that exist in sport beyond playing. So whether it be coaching, sport administration, training, sport communication, and really ground groundwork to begin that networking that really drives uh, career development. Um, there is a longitudinal study that was um, done by Acosta and Carpenter and taken over by the Tucker Center for Women in Sport um, tracking women going and participating and actually working as coaches and administrators. And since the inception of Title IX, we've always hovered below 50%. And what what that means is less than half of the coaches coaching women are women. And that those numbers are even less. So the the symposium was started by Jen Schillingford to drive that number up, to add more women coaching add more women. And we have about, it's a little, it's like 55% of our graduates that have gone through the program um are in our profession, in our in our sport profession, in some capacity at all different levels.
0: That's great. Um, so Harley, uh on a little personal note, what's what's something fun about you that most people don't know?
1: Oh fun. You know, <laughs> I I have to I had to think about this one. Um, <clears throat> and I I did I did phone a friend. Uh so what I came up with is fun is a little more, I guess, adventurous. Um, you know, especially I have a, an 11 year old and eight year old and I don't want to be that boring mom. But when I look back on things that I've done in my life, um, it's always been with an adventurous spirit. So I, I just thought I'd share a couple of things I did. So when I was 15, my grandparents took me on a six week cruise across the Atlantic and around Europe and the Middle East. Um, It was not on a regular cruise ship, it was on a merchant marine vessel, so it was a cargo ship, and it took 10 to 12 days across the Atlantic and back, and we went to Egypt, Israel, Turkey, um, Spain, I'm trying to remember where else, it was unbelievable, but it was not your typical day, and I was, oh yeah, and I was 15 with my grandparents, Um, such an amazing cultural experience. I will say I packed a suitcase of clothes and a suitcase of books. So I definitely like read a lot. Um, When I was um, later in high school, I was a Girl Scout all the way growing up. I got my gold award and I had an opportunity to go to the boundary waters of uh, Northern Minnesota and dog sledding winter camp (laughs) in December um, for 10 days. So doing serious winter camping and dog sledding, I guess we were covering like 15 miles a day. That was kind of crazy. I've gone skydiving, Um, I love roller coasters, you know, I always, right now, and then with my kids, like, we go to the ocean a lot, we have a beach house in North Carolina, Um, I'm open to learning to surf with my son, things like that to show that, like, we're still open to trying new things and doing new things, so I guess that's what I would say would be fun about me.
0: That's awesome, I didn't realize you were such an adventurer. Try to be. (laughs) There's
1: not much of that happening these days, right now we're trying to open up our pop-up camper to camp in the backyard. Okay. We'll we'll see how that goes. I mean, that's still going to be an adventure, what I find in there, but. Nice.
0: Are are either of your kids uh, adventurous like you, or?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I, Logan, my son, is fearless. Um, He will go swimming in the ocean, doesn't matter any, like, we're there February, he'll go. Uh, My daughter is about the same right now. She's obsessed with climbing trees, and she's a pretty tall eight-year-old, and I'm just, fearing the day where I'm going to get the call from a neighbor saying, Callie just fell of a tree. She broke her arm and we have to go to urgent care of the ER. So yes, um, they are. What's, what's cool is when we go to Hershey park every summer, everyone wants to ride all the roller coasters, our entire family. So, um, multiple times. And we also meet all the height requirements. So, um, it's pretty, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. That's
0: great. Uh, I'm sure your kids are keeping you on your toes right now at this time here.
1: Absolutely. Yes. <laughs>
0: So, um, last question I have for you, Harley. Um, yeah. you know, during uh, the the social distancing time, what are some things that you're finding to read, watch, or listen to that you would recommend to people watching this video?
1: Um, sure, so, you know, from the coaching standpoint, uh, I'm re-listening uh, The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. We read that book as a team over winter break, and now we're having our incoming freshmen read it, so Audible is free right now if you have Amazon. Uh, I walk every day with my my dog, um, usually like four miles, so we I listen to that. I've just finished that. Um, my always go-to is for people that are local, um, I listen to WMMR, Preston and Steve, their podcast in the morning. One of their guys, Casey, is from Rutledge, the town that I live in, um, and there's a lot of Delco pride, so that's a fun show. They talk about some of the silliest and craziest and just awesome stuff, so that's a good um, Uh, thing to listen to. What else am I uh, listening to, thinking about it? There's a lot. You know, there is some. Oh, I'm reading. I I am getting back into reading more. And, you know, with my kids, we have school at home now, remote learning, fifth grade and second grade, which are two totally different. They're in different realms. So I push myself, they need to read, so I'm reading. Um, It's a book called Digital Minimalism, which is interesting. And we're using so much technology, but the idea of minimalizing, your um, digital footprint, um, I can't remember, I think it's Cal Newport is the author. It's good stuff, it's, you know, I try not to get sucked into the void of my phone and computer, which is challenging each day. Listen to a lot of music, you know, I listen to the, the Zoom video I did with RAD Adam Hertz. Uh, he's definitely a little bit older than I am, but we have similar music tastes, so, you know, a lot of people don't realize Red Hot Chili Peppers are my favorite band, so we listen to a lot of chili peppers, a lot of classic rock um we listed oar i made a whole list oar killers a lot of 21 pilots my son has become a really into that so and in the morning jack johnson is our go-to for like school music he's very motivating uh watching i'm over the moon about the last dance uh the documentary about the chicago bulls if you were if i were if you were to ask me my two favorite teams it'd be the chicago bulls of michael jordan and it'd be the boston red sox um my family it's in our blood for the red sox the bulls was something my mom my brother and i and all of this is like reliving that that time so um i make a point of staying up and watching both episodes last night i probably have to go back and rewatch about the last 20 minutes but um that i did watch tiger king that made the round in our family that was good like beginning quarantine conversations like is this real (laughs) um And then my team knows this about me, but my like secret obsession is anything Bravo. I love the Real Housewives. I'm not going to lie. So, um, and those are still going strong. So I do tend to watch a lot more of that than most people know. That's like my secret obsession.
0: Some great recommendations there, Harley. I appreciate that. Sure. Well, that's all all the time uh, we have today, but thank you so much for jumping on this call and giving us the chance to get to know you a little bit better.
1: Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it.